It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of reason. It was the age of insanity. Some call Charles Dickens' novel a tale of two cities, from which these are the first famous words, the most important novel ever written, the first docudrama. But not only does it apply this collection of well-written sense to the 18th century France of two cities, but it could just as easily have applied to the 19th century England in which Dickens lived. He would come to America later, this man of social conscience, and later another Englishman of another time, Sir Winston Churchill, would say of him, only there did he find less social justice than his own England. It was England at Christmas time, an England in desperate need of reform, an England where Christmas was best celebrated on the throne by the rich and those who perceived others to be rich. It was the best of times in this England. Plum pudding and goose abounded on the tables of those able to afford the very best. It was a time of good cheer for those of good cheer. And it was a time of hard work and little pay for many who worked for those of good cheer. Dickens had watched this, had studied it, had lived it. He knew the degradation that surrounded the abundance. What he did not know is what he would contribute when he wrote the famous short story of the holiday time, A Christmas Carol. For Charles Dickens had contributed more than a story. He had contributed a lexicon of words that forever would have a meaning far greater than the few pages he would pen. Never again would people say someone doesn't have the Christmas spirit. They would say, he is a real Scrooge, named for the character created in a short time in the fertile mind of greatness, Charles Dickens. Come with me for a moment. Come back in time to a tiny street near Piccadilly Circus in modern England. Walk down some steps, concrete steps, to a small pottery and art shop. And there you'll see a small table. There, under glass, is the original manuscript Dickens penned, A Christmas Carol, on the very spot where he penned it in longhand. He would say of his story, I cry for good to overtake evil. A man who believed little in spirits and what he would not see, saw and gave. And thus, A Christmas Carol, with its Marleys and Scrooges and Tiny Tims, is for all time the ultimate story of Christmas and has been for 142 years. It was first just his book, but soon it came alive. He would read it to audiences over the years. And then, after his death, greats gave their name to the Scrooges that would live and travel that famous night. John Barrymore would play Scrooge. Lionel Barrymore, Arthur Conan Doyle, Douglas Fairbanks, Alfred Hitchcock, Cecil B. DeMille, Franklin Roosevelt, John Kennedy. Just a few who would, for an hour, be a Scrooge. Now we have our own. Recorded for radio, our cast includes Joe Rose, Governor Richard Celeste, Bill Bender, Peter Ermitter, Dr. Michael Friedman, David George, Waylon Boot, Betty Cope, George Carl, Tim Taylor, Denise DeCenzo, Diane Burr, Scott Newell, John McCullough, Wilma Smith, John O'Day, Pete Franklin, George Voinovich, Dick Goddard, Ted Henry, Fred Griffith, Hal Leibovitz, Rena Blumberg, Bishop Anthony Pilla, Mary Strassmeyer, Sana Estefan, Don Schwal, Stu Maydow, and as Tiny Tim, 
Dennis Kucinich. And now, A Christmas Carol. Once upon a time, of all good days in the year, on Christmas Eve, old Ebenezer Scrooge, member of the firm of Scrooge Marley and Company, sat busy in his counting house. It was cold, bleak, biting weather. And he could hear the people in the court outside go wheezing up and down, beating their hands, stamping their feet to keep warm. The city clocks had just struck three, but it was quite dark already, and the candles were glowing in the windows of the neighboring offices like ruddy smears upon the brown air. The door of Scrooge's counting house was open, that he might keep an eye on his faithful but shivering clerk, Bob Cratchit. But a dismal cold cell below was copying letters. Suddenly, Bob Cratchit rose and approached the office of old Scrooge. Well, well, out with it. What are you standing there for? Well, sir, my fire is almost out, and I thought, well, I thought another bit of coal would keep it going till, well, well, till... Nonsense. Haven't I told you I won't have you burning up my coal like, uh, like tinder? Yes, sir. Well, then, why don't you go back to your work? Well, sir, tomorrow, well... Tomorrow's Christmas and I... Yes, I know. And you were wondering whether you could have all day off, I suppose. It's quite convenient, sir. It's not convenient. And it's not fair. If I was to stop a half-crown for it, you'd think yourself ill-used. I'll be bound. Yes, sir. Ah, Christmas. Nothing but a poor excuse to pick a man's pocket every December the 25th. My old partner, Marley, agreed with me. He thought it was a lot of humbug, too. And you, a clerk with 15 shillings a week, and a wife and a family, talking about a Merry Christmas. Ah! May I have tomorrow off, sir? I suppose you must. But be here all the earlier the next morning. Yes, sir, I will, and thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Come in, come in. The door's open. Open for business. Scrooge and Marley, I believe. Have I the pleasure of addressing Mr. Scrooge or Mr. Marley? Mr. Marley has been dead for seven years, and since you asked. He died seven years ago this very night. We have no doubt his debts will be well taken care of by his surviving partner. Not interested. Mr. Scrooge, at this festive season, it is more than desirable that we make some slight provision for the poor and destitute. At this moment, sir, many are in want of common necessities and are suffering greatly. Are there no prisons? Plenty of prisons. And the union workhouses, are they still in operation? They are, still. I wish I could say they were not. The treadmill and the poor law are in full vigor, then? Both are very busy. Oh, I was afraid from what you said that something had occurred to stop them in their useful course. But, sir, these organizations scarcely furnish Christian cheer of mind or body to these unfortunate people. It is because of that a few of us are endeavoring to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and means of warmth. 
We chose this time because it is a time of all others when want is keenly felt and abundance rejoices. So, sir, what shall I put you down for? Nothing! You wish to be anonymous. I wish to be left alone. I can't afford to make idle people merry. I support the establishments I have mentioned. They cost me enough. Those that are badly off must go there. Many can't go there, and many would rather die than go there. If they would rather die, they had better do it and decrease the surplus population. Besides, that's not my business. It's enough for a man to understand his own business and not interfere with other people. So, it bids you a good afternoon. Good afternoon. Cratchit! Who's that? Your nephew, sir. A Merry Christmas, Uncle. God save you. Bah! Humbug! Christmas a humbug? Uncle, you don't mean that, I'm sure. I do. Merry Christmas. What right have you to be merry? What reason have you to be merry? You're poor enough? Come on, Uncle. What right do you have to be dismal? What right have you to be remorseful? You're rich enough. Bah! Humbug! Don't be cross, Uncle. What else can I be when I live in such a world of fools as this? Merry Christmas! Out upon a Merry Christmas. What's it to you but a time of paying bills without money? If I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled with his own pudding. He should! Uncle! If you keep your Christmas in your own way, then let me keep it in mine. Keep it. But you don't keep it. Let me leave it alone, then. Much good it has ever done you or Will. Why, Uncle, it has done me a lot of good. Apart from its sacred celebration, it's brought me a good time. A kind, forgiving, charitable, happy time. The only time I know in the whole year when men and women open their hearts. Hearts that sometimes stay closed the rest of the year. Yes, Uncle, though it has never really put a scrap of silver in my pocket, I believe it has done me good and will do me good. And I say God bless it. You're quite a powerful speaker, sir. I wonder you don't go into Parliament. Come on, Uncle, don't be angry. Come, dine with us tomorrow. No, I won't dine with you. But why not? Why did you get married? Because I fell in love. Because you fell in love. Good afternoon. Nay, Uncle, but you never came to see me before I was married. Why give that as a reason for not coming now? Good afternoon. Uncle, why can't we be friends? We have never had any quarrel to which I have been a party, and we never will. I have come to see you in homage to Christmas, and I'll keep my Christmas spirit to the last. So, a Merry Christmas to you, Uncle. Good afternoon. And a Happy New Year. After such a disturbing afternoon, Scrooge took his melancholy dinner in his usual melancholy tavern, and having read all the newspapers, went home to bed. He lived in chambers which had once belonged to his irascible old partner, Marley, a gloomy suite of rooms, old and dreary, where no one lived but Scrooge, the other rooms being let out as offices. Once in his apartment, 
He closed and locked his door and in his usual fashion put on his dressing gown and slippers and sat down before the fire to take his evening gruel. The fire was very low indeed, casting eerie shadows on the wall, and he was obliged to sit close to it and brood over it before he could extract any warmth from it. As he leaned forward in his chair, his glance happened to rest upon a bell, a disused bell that hung in the room and communicated for some purpose long forgotten with a chamber upstairs. It was with great astonishment and a strange dread that as he looked, he saw this bell begin to swing, first softly, then so loudly that every bell in the house joined in and rang also. This must have lasted for half a minute or so, but to Scrooge, it seemed a terrifying hour. The bell ceased, only to be followed by a clanging noise deep down below, as if some person were dragging a heavy chain over the casks in the wine cellar. Scrooge then remembered that ghosts in the haunted houses were described as dragging chains. Then followed a series of strange sounds, as of feet mounting stairs, coming closer, closer, closer toward his room. Scrooge, suddenly aware that some weird happening was about to occur, hugged his shivering body and waited in fear and trembling. I know you. I know you. You, you Marley's ghost. What do you want with me? Marley. Who are you? Ask me who I was. Who were you then? In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. Can, can you sit down? I can. Well then, do it. You don't believe I am who I say. I don't. What evidence would you have me produce? Well, uh, I don't know. Why doubt your senses? Because a little thing affects them. A slight disorder of the stomach uh, makes them cheat. You may be an undigested bit of beef, a blot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of underdone potato, there is more of gravy than of the grave of you. Whatever you are, so I say, humbug. Humbug, I tell you. Why, 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 do you, why do you trouble me? Man of worldly mind, do you believe in me or not? I do. I must. But why do spirits walk on the earth? And why do they come to me? It is required of every man that the spirit within him should walk abroad among his fellow men. And if that spirit goes not forth in life, it is condemned to do so after death. It is doomed to wander through the world. Oh, woe is me, and witness what it cannot share, but might have shared on earth, and turned to happiness. You are not at rest. Tell me why. I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it link by link and of my own free will. And I wore it. Would 
you know the weight of the strong coil you bear yourself? It was full as heavy as this seven Christmas Eves ago, and you have labored on it since. Believe me, it is indeed a ponderous chain. Jacob! Oh, Jacob Marley! Tell me more. Speak comfort to me, Jacob. I have none to give. Comfort comes from other regions. Nor can I tell you what I would. Very little more is all permitted to me. I cannot rest. I cannot stay. I cannot linger anywhere. In life, my spirit never walked beyond the narrow limits of our counting house. And weary journeys lie before me. You must have been very slow about it, Jacob. Slow? Seven years dead. And traveling all the time. The whole time, no rest, no peace. Only the torture of remorse. You travel fast. On the wings of the wind. You must have got over a quantity of ground in seven years. Oh, captive, bound in double iron, not to know. Not to know that any Christian spirit working kindly in its little sphere, whatever it may be, will find its mortal life too short for its vast means of usefulness. Not to know that no space of regret can make amends for one's life's opportunities misused. Yet such was I. Oh, such was I. But you were always a good man of business, Jacob. Business? Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of business. At this time of year, I suffer most. Why did I walk through crowds of fellow beings with my eyes turned down? Never raised them to that blessed star which led the wise men to a poor abode. Were there no poor homes to which light would have conducted me? Hear me. My time is nearly gone. I, I will. I will. But, but don't be hard on me. Don't be flowery. Please, Jacob. How is it that I appear before you in a shape that you can see? I may not tell. I have sat invisible beside you on many and many a day. That is no light part of my penance. I am here tonight to warn you that you have yet a chance and hope of escaping my fate, Ebenezer. You were always a good friend to me, Marley. Hear me. You will be haunted by three spirits. That the chance and hope you mentioned, Jacob? It is. I think I'd, I'd rather not. Without their visits, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. Expect the first tomorrow, when the bell tolls one. Couldn't I take them all at once and, and have it over, Jacob? Expect the second on the next night at the same hour. The third upon the next night, when the last stroke of twelve ceases to vibrate. Look to see me no more. No more. No more.
Slowly and quietly, the ghost floated out upon the dark, bleak night, leaving Scrooge desperate and curious behind. After a moment, he followed and went to the window and looked out. The air was filled with phantoms, wandering hither and thither in restless haste and moaning as they went. Every one of them wore chains like Marley's ghost. Many he knew personally, old friends who had passed on, business acquaintances, all bound and chained and wailing in mournful voices. He had been quite familiar with one old ghost in a white waistcoat, with a monstrous iron safe attached to his ankle, who cried at being unable to assist a wretched woman whom he saw on the doorstep below. The misery of them was all clear. They sought to help in human matters and had lost the power forever. With a painful sigh, Scrooge closed the window and examined the door by which the ghost had entered. It was double locked, just as he had locked it. He tried to say humbug, but stopped at the first syllable. Feeling much in need of rest, went straight to bed and fell asleep. Subconsciously, from deep in the realms of sleep, old Scrooge heard the clock toll the quarter hour, the half hour and remember that the ghost had warned him of a visitation at the stroke of one. Recalling this, he dozed soundly. Then on the instant of one, as he lay there, the lights flashed up in his room. For a moment he blinked, then stared wide-eyed at what he saw before him. Are you the spirit, sir, whose coming was foretold to me? I am. Who and what are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past? No, your past. What then? What would you want of me? Rise and walk with me. I, I am mortal and liable to fall. Nay, my hand will support thee. Now, look beyond. Tell me, what do you see? Good heaven! I see! I see why! I was a boy here. All this I remember well. Your lip is trembling. And what is that upon your cheek? A tear. And what of it? Lead on, spirit. I follow. You remember the way? Remember it? Half of my boyhood. I could walk it blindfolded. Strange to have forgotten it. For so many years, strange, but let us go on. Ah, do you see that? A school. Do you remember? But of course you do. Even though it is Christmas Eve, it is not quite deserted. A solitary child, neglected by his friends, is left there still. Do you see him? I do. I know him all too well. <laughs> my lone lost boyhood. My lonely self. You recall this old brick schoolhouse with its weather vane and the school bell hanging from its roof? Look now. The walls are damp and mossy. The windows are broken. The gates decayed. Let us look within at the boy who still reads 
near the fable fire. Poor boy, poor lonely boy. Was that day my little sister Fan came here with the happy news that she had persuaded my father to let me come home for Christmas. I had thought that I was to spend it alone at school. How oh, she clapped her tiny hands and laughed when she told me that he had sent a coach to fetch me, that we might all have a merry Christmas together. Did you go? Ah, yes, merrily, with my trunk tied on top of the carriage and the quick wheels dashing through the snow. Your sister was always a delicate creature whom a breath might have withered, but she had a large heart. So she had. You're right. I will not deny its spirit. God forbid. She died a woman and had, I think, one child. Yes, my nephew Fred. Shall we leave the boy at his desk? My poor forgotten self as I used to be. Poor boy. What say you? I wish... I wish... Oh, but it's, it's too late now. What is too late? Nothing. Nothing. Well, last night a boy was... was singing Christmas carols at my door. I should like to have given him something. That's all. Let us see another Christmas. And so the spirit of Christmas past led old Scrooge down the memories of long ago, each separate experience recalling moments quite forgotten. Although they had but just left the school behind them, they were now in the busy streets of a city. It was again Christmas time, but it was evening and the streets were lighted. The ghost stopped at a certain warehouse door and asked Scrooge if he knew it. Know it? Why, I was apprenticed here, cried Scrooge. And the joy of the reunion came over him as he saw his old employer sitting behind a high desk in a Welsh wig. Why, it's old Fezziwick. Bless his heart. Fezziwick, alive again. As he watched, he saw the memories of that Christmas Eve suddenly come into being. The clearing of the warehouse floor for dancing. The fiddler perched on Fezziwig's high desk. The beaming face of Mrs. Fezziwig and the laughter of 20 couples all dancing at once. Himself, a young lad of 18, laughing with the rest. On the stroke of 11, the party ended with everyone wishing a Merry Christmas in high, ringing voices. Spirit, what power we have to render others happy or unhappy. The power of words and deeds, as great as if it cost a fortune. What's the matter? Nothing in particular. Just now, I, I should like to be able to say a word to my clerk, Bob Cratchit. That's all. My time grows short. Look. What's that? What Scrooge saw was himself. This time as a man in the prime of life. He was not alone, but sat by the side of a fair young girl in a morning dress, in whose eyes there were tears which sparkled in the light that shone forth from the ghost of Christmas past. It matters little to you. Very little. Another idol has displaced me, and if can cheer and comfort you in time to come, as I would have tried to do, 
I have no just cause to be sad. What idol has displaced you? A golden one. This is the even-handed dealing of the world. There's nothing on which the world is so hard as poverty. There is nothing it professes to condemn with such severity as the pursuit of wealth. Poor Ebenezer, you fear the world too much. All your other hopes have merged into the one hope of being beyond the chance of its sordid reproach. The reproach of poverty. I have seen your noble aspirations fall, one by one, until the master passion gain engrosses you. Have I not? What then? Even if I have grown so much wiser, what then? I'm not changed towards you, am I? Our contract is an old one, made when we were both poor and content to be so. Until in good season we could improve our worldly fortune by our patient industry. You are changed. When it was made, you were another man. I was a boy. Your own feelings tell you you are not the same. I am. It is enough that I can release you. Have I sought release? In words? No, never. In what then? In a changed nature, an altered spirit. In everything that made my love of any worth or value in your sight. If this had never been before us, tell me, would you seek me out and try to win me now? No. You think not? I would gladly think otherwise if I could. Heaven knows I would. But if you were free today, tomorrow, can even I believe that you would choose a poor girl, you who in your very confidence with her weigh everything by gain, or even if you should, do I not know that regret would surely follow? I do, and I release you with a full heart for the love of him you once were. May you be happy in the life you have chosen. Spirit, show me no more. No more, take me home. Why do you delight in torturing me? No. No, no more, no more, I do not wish to see it. But the relentless ghost grabbed Scrooge in both his arms and forced him to watch what happened next. They were in another scene in place, a room not very large and handsome, but full of comfort and Christmas cheer. Near to the winter fire sat a mother and daughter, so alike in their loveliness that Scrooge caught his breath to think that the mother might once have called him husband and that another such creature, quite as graceful and full of promise as her daughter, might have called him father and been a springtime in the haggard winter of his life. As he watched, a knocking was heard at the door, and such a rush ensued. The younger children, just in time from play, to greet the father who had arrived, laden with toys and Christmas presents. After the excitement quieted down, the master of the house sat by his own fireplace, his daughter leaning fondly on him and his wife close by, making a picture of contentment and domestic happiness. Scrooge could stand no more. Spirit, remove me from this place. I cannot bear it. Leave me! Take me back! Haunt me no longer! In his anguish, he wrestled with the spirit of Christmas past, and yet found he was only struggling with a strange, unbroken light. 
He was conscious of being exhausted and drowsy, and of being in his own bedroom with barely time to reel before he sank into a heavy sleep. At the stroke of one, Scrooge awoke with a start and sat upright. He knew the second messenger dispatched to him through Jacob Marley's intervention would shortly arrive, and he wished this time to challenge the spirit the moment of its appearance. However, no spirit came. Five minutes, ten minutes, time passed until the clocks proclaimed the hour, and still he sat alone. At last he began to think. Throughout the hour he had seen a ghostly light about the clock wondered if in the adjoining room he would find its weird source. He had hardly moved when a strange voice called him by name and bade him to enter. He obeyed. It was his own room. There was no doubt about that. But it had undergone a surprising transformation. The walls and ceiling were so hung with living green that it looked like a perfect grove from every part of which glistened gleaming berries. It was a Christmassy a sight as old Scrooge had ever seen. Come in. Come in and know me better, man. I am the ghost of Christmas present. Look upon me. Spirit, take me where you will. I went forth last night on compulsion, and I learned a lesson which is working now, tonight. If you have another to teach me, we profit by it. Ha ha ha, touch my robe. Now, what do you see? I see gaiety and Christmas cheer everywhere. Stores lighted up and holly and, and mistletoe. Listen, that noise. Do you know whose house that is? Ah, yes. It's the humble home of my clerk, Bob Cratchit. Oh, look, spirit, how happy they are. The children, the children dancing around the table while there. Mrs. Tratchit lays the feast before them. And who is that man who enters so merrily, carrying a crippled lad on his shoulder? That, sir, is Bob Cratchit and his son, Tiny Tim. See the boy's little crutch and his helpless limbs supported by an iron frame. How tenderly his father holds him. Spirit, tell me, will Tiny Tim live? I see a vacant seat in the poor chimney corner and a crutch without an owner, carefully preserved. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, the child will die. No, no, no kind spirit say. He will live to be spared. Why so? If he is supposed to die, let him die. Do it quick. Decrease the surplus population. Man, if man you be in heart, will you decide what man shall live? What man shall die? It may be in the sight of heaven. You are more worthless and less fit to live than millions like this poor man's child. You speak the truth, spirit. Enough. We must go. Hold my robe. Look. Look. What do you see now? I see. I see my nephew with his family. Hear how heartily he laughs and how they join him. What else? They joke about me. They drink to my health and happiness knowing I have neither. 
They laugh that I miss the dinner they offer, and yet, in truth, they seem to wish for my presence. You observe well. The games they play, I remember them. I'd almost like to join in their sport. I leave you now, for my life on this globe is very brief. Our spirits' lives so short. Mine ends tonight at midnight. Hark, the time is drawing near. I go, but another comes. I'm in the presence of the ghost of Christmas yet to come. You're about to show me the shadows of the things that have not happened, but what will happen in the time before us. Is that so? Ghost of the future. I fear you more than any ghosts I have seen. I know your purpose is to do me good, so I am prepared to bear you company and do it with a thankful heart. Will you not speak to me? Wait. Voices. Men and women talking about someone who is dead. They're, they're happy about his death and speak with cold dislike. The quarrel over his possessions, even the sheet from his bed and the curtains from his windows. They're even taking the shirt from his dead body. Spirit, this is horror. The man in this scene might well be me. I, I beg you. Let me see some tenderness connected with death, that I may forget the horror of what I've just heard. I pray, take me away. Lead on! According to Scrooge's wish, the ghost of Christmas yet to come took him for the second time to the home of his poor clerk and found Mrs. Cratchit and all the little Cratchits seated, still as statues, around the fire. But Tiny Tim was nowhere in sight. As they watched, the door opened and Bob Cratchit entered warily. They all greeted him, eager to give him comfort and hot tea. After a while, he placed his arm around the shoulders of his wife and calling his children together, went up the stairs to the room where Tiny Tim lay, cold and still, in his tiny bed. I wish you could have seen how green a place it is where he will lay. It would have done you good, my dear, but you'll see it often enough, I promise you. I promised him we would walk there on Sunday, my, my, my Tim, my Tiny Tim. Don't be sad, Robert. He is where all the little angels go, and we must be happy this Christmas as he would have wanted us to be. Of course, of course we must. We must be closer than ever before, happier than ever before. But however and whenever we part from one another, I am sure we will never forget Tiny Tim or this first Christmas without him. We won't forget. Oh, no, we won't Father. Forget. We won't forget. And I know, my children, that when we remember how patient and mild he was, though he was a little, little child, we will not quarrel easily among ourselves and forget Tiny Tim in doing it. No, no never, never, Father, never. I am very happy, dear, very happy, for him and for us all. And I, too, 
This shall be a very Merry Christmas, a Merry Christmas indeed. Once again, the silent ghost of Christmas yet to come beckons Scrooge to follow, first leading him past the window of his own counting house that he might look in. Scrooge hastened to see what the future held for him there, but saw nothing that he recognized. It was an office as before, but not his. Another had taken his place and sat at the desk which had been his for so many years. He bowed his head that he might erase the sight. The ghost beckoned him on, pointing as before, this time to an old churchyard overrun with grass and weeds, forgotten and unattended. The spirit stood among the graves and pointed solemnly to one of them. Spirit, before I come closer to that stone you're pointing to, answer me one question. Are these the shadows of things that will be? Or are they shadows of things that only may be? Men's courses will foreshadow certain ends, no doubt. But if these courses are changed, the ends will change. Say it's true with what you show me. Say it! I beg you! My name! It's my name carved on the stone! Am I the man whose death they welcome? Over whose possessions they fought? No, spirit! No! Oh, spirit, hear me! I am not the man I was! I will not be the man I must have been, but for this intervention. Why show me this? If I am past all hope, good spirit, your hand trembles. Your nature intercedes for me and pities me. Assure me that I may yet change the shadows you have shown me by an altered life. I will live in the past, present, and the future. This spirit of all three will strive within me. Oh, tell me, sponge away the writing on this stone. I beg you, tell me. In his agony, old Scrooge caught the spectral hand. It sought to free itself, but he was strong with his grip and held it fast. The spirit, stronger yet, pulled away. Holding up his hands in a last prayer to have his fate reversed, he saw a sudden alteration in the ghost's hood and dress. It shrunk, collapsed, and dwindled until his hands held nothing but emptiness. The ghost of Christmas yet to come had left him. I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all year. Oh, tell me I may sponge away the writing on this stone. I beg you, tell me. What? What? I live! I am not dead! Oh, Jacob Marley, heaven and Christmas be praised for this! I say it on my knees. I don't know what to do! I'm as light as a feather! I'm as happy as an angel! I'm as merry as a schoolboy! Oh, merry, merry Christmas to everybody! A happy new year to all the world! What's this? Out my window! Hello! I don't know what day of the month it is. I don't know how long I've been among spirits. I don't know anything. Hello down there. You there, my fine young fellow. What day is this? Why, it's Christmas. Christmas Day, sir. Christmas Day? Christmas Day? 
Hooray! Hooray! I haven't missed it after all. The spirits have done it all in one night. Oh, heaven be praised, Marley, old Jacob Marley, wherever you are, hear me. I know you are close by, so listen. First, first I shall send that fine prize turkey I saw hanging in the butcher shop to Bob Cratchit. It's twice the size of Tiny Tim, and he won't even know who sent it. Then, then I shall dress in my best clothes, and after a visit to the church, shall go out into the streets to wish all the people I meet a Merry Christmas. Then, then I shall give to all who need, and I shall pat the heads of all the little children who come by. Finally, finally my walk will lead me to the home of my nephew. Bless my soul, how surprised they'll be to have me sit at the table with them in happy fellowship. Then, Marley, my dear friend, I will go my way to Bob Cratchit's home to partake of that fabulous bird with them, to whisper in Bob's ear that so long as I live, I shall make it my responsibility to bring the cheer of Christmas to Tiny Tim. Oh, a fine Christmas it is, yes! <laughs> Dressing himself just as he had planned, he set out as light of heart as a boy, wishing all who passed him the merriest of Christmases. He went to church, questioned beggars, and patted all the little children on the head. Some people laughed to see the change in him, but he let them laugh, for he was wise enough to know that nothing ever happened on this globe for good, at which some people did not have their fill of laughter at the beginning. He had never dreamed that any walk, no, that anything could give him such happiness. In the afternoon, he turned his step first towards his nephew's home, where he went with affection, and was received with happy welcome, arriving finally at the home of Bob Cratchit and Tiny Tim. As he entered, they were all seated at the table, getting ready to eat the fine bird that he had sent them. May I join you in your Christmas feast this Christmas day? Why, yes. Yes, sir, of course. Yes, do sit down. Oh, please sit down, Mr. Scrooge. Please sit down. A Merry Christmas to you and yours, Bob Cratchit, and a Merry Christmas to you, Tiny Tim. And a Merry Christmas to you, too. And God bless us, everyone. And God bless us, everyone. Bless us, for perhaps Ebenezer Scrooge learned his lesson. Have we all learned our lesson? What lesson and when? In the short period of history, as time is measured since Dickens first wrote his novel, only 142 years, man has managed to annihilate man for most of those years. He has paused at Christmas. All anyone asks is a Christmas spirit 12 months a year. You have been listening to A Christmas Carol, based on the novel by Charles Dickens. Our cast included as narrators. Hi, this is Joel Rosen. Wasn't this fun? Well, we have to do this again sometime. Best of holidays to you and your family. This is Bill Bender. Have a very Merry Christmas and a safe and prosperous New Year. This is Governor Dick Celeste, wishing you and your family health and happiness at this holiday season and throughout the New Year. Hi, this is Pete Ermitter, wishing all of you folks out there in the greater Cleveland area 
the best of a holiday season. This is Dr. Michael Friedman. Have a great holiday celebration. This is David George, wishing everyone a happy holiday season. Hello, everybody. Waylon Boot here, and from my family to yours, happy holidays. This is Betty Cope, wishing joy to you and yours. Hi, this is George Carl of the Cleveland Cavaliers. I'd like to take this opportunity to wish everybody and the fans of the Cleveland Cavaliers a happy Merry Christmas from the Cleveland Cavaliers and a fond New Year. I'm Tim Taylor. Merry Christmas, everyone. I'm Denise DeSenza, wishing all of you a very Merry Christmas. This is Diane Burr, wishing you and yours a very Merry Christmas. Hi, this is Scott Newell of Channel 3's AM Cleveland. Happy Holidays from all of us at AM Cleveland. This is John McCullough, and from my home to yours, have the merriest Christmas and the happiest New Year ever. Hello, this is Wilma Smith from TV5. It is with special joy that I take this opportunity to wish you and your family the happiest of holidays from my family. This is John O'Day, and from everyone at the O'Day household to your family, a very, very Merry Christmas. As Ebenezer Scrooge, this is Pete Franklin. Have a cool Yule and a frantic first. As Bob Cratchit, this is Mayor George Voinovich. I hope the special message of the Christmas Carol will be reflected in the way you treat your fellow man during this holiday season and next year, particularly with the members of your own family. As the collector, this is Dick Gunn, and may all your Christmases be white. As Scrooge's nephew, Fred, this is Ted Henry. From my family to yours, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. As Marley, I'm Fred Griffith, wishing you a happy and joyous holiday season. As the ghost of Christmas past, this is Hal Lubavitz. Whatever you're wishing for, whatever you're hoping for in the coming new year, all of us at Radio 11 hope your dreams come true. Happy holidays. As the young girl. This is Rena Blumberg. Enjoy your life as a celebration this holiday season. As the ghost of Christmas present. This is Bishop Pilla wishing you a blessed and Merry Christmas. As Bob Cratchit's wife. This is Mary Strassmeyer hoping this Christmas is filled with everything you want. Peace, goodwill, love, and friendship. As the little crutchet girl. I'm Sana Estefan from Radio 11. I wish everybody a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. This is Don Swall. Have a Merry Christmas. As Peter Cratchit. This is Stuart Madow from Radio 11 wishing you and your family the best in this holiday season. And in the role of Tiny Tim. This is Dennis Kucinich. From my family to your family, love and light during the holiday season. This special program was adapted for radio, produced and directed by Bill Bender. Executive producer, Marty Allen. This is Merle Paula speaking. A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens.